Good morning and happy Sabbath. Welcome to Linwood Adventist Church. Glad you joined us. And glad you joined us online. If you joined us online for this um, sermon, which is part of the series on three angels' message. Or three angels' messages. One of the easy ways to understand the Bible is to think of the whole Bible in three words. Is it possible to condense all the Bible to three words? I think it is, in a way, that might help you to understand the concepts in the Bible. And the first concept in the Bible that is very important, and we find it right in the beginning of the scripture, is the concept of creation. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. So the concept of creation is foundational to our understanding of the scriptures because God introduces himself as the creator God. And that concept of creation we see all throughout the scripture. Would you agree with that? Okay. So what is the second word? The second word that is important for us to understand the whole concept of the Bible. We also find it in the book of Genesis. Actually, all these three words you will find in the book of Genesis. And the second one is conflict. We know that the great controversy started in heaven, and then it continued on this planet. And it continues until today. Would you say amen to that? So the, the concept of conflict, we, we see again all throughout the scriptures, it's the con uh, concept of conflict between God and Satan, and we are caught up in this conflict. Whether you like it or not, you and I, we are the part of the conflict. And so the Bible has this concept of great conflict or great controversy that is continuing on this planet. And the third principle or the third concept that is important for us to understand to kind of condense the Bible to three words is the concept of covenant. And what a beautiful set of Bible studies we are going through in our Sabbath school lessons because we are studying more deeply about the covenant. Somebody said that covenant is the backbone of the scriptures. It's so important, so beautiful. God is faithful to his covenant. Amen? All throughout scriptures we see God's faithfulness to his covenant. And it shines forth in the book of Revelation when God actually defends his people and restores them and becomes their God and we are his people. The covenant is fulfilled. And of course, Jesus on the cross is the one who is the guarantor of the covenant, his sacrifice on the cross. So interesting enough, if you look at three angels' messages, you would see the same three words in three angels' messages. Because the first angel is actually inviting people to worship him who created heaven and earth. So we see the concept of creation in three angels' messages. When we come to the second angel's message, we see the conflict, the Babylon, right? And Babylon is the, mm, the system, a false worship system and system that opposes God. So there is conflict and the second angel is announcing that the Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And then when we come to the third angel's message, we are seeing something new and different. It's, it's some sort of a mark on the forehead and on the hand. And then in the context of the book of Revelation, we see the seal of God and we see the mark of the beast portrayed. And as we come to the close of earth history and the book of Revelation, we see God is shining through as God faithful to his covenant because he is able to lead his children through the times of trouble and save them for eternity. Can you say amen to that? 
So we see covenant again playing um, an important role at the end. All three words start with C, creation, conflict, covenant. They help me to understand three angels' messages in the right perspective. Because it's God who wants to save his children. Amen? So we've started uh, last Sabbath about the most serious and solemn warning ever given in the scriptures. And what is that warning? It's none other than third angel's message. Whatever happens, make sure you do not receive the mark of the beast. That's the warning. And as I mentioned before, that there will be a seal of God and mark of the beast. And receiving the mark of the beast means that you will not be protected during the time of trouble, last time of trouble. Only those who have the seal of God will be protected by God through that time of trouble. And only those who have the seal of God will be saved for eternity. But those who will receive the mark of the beast will lose their salvation. That's how important these messages are. We've looked at the essence of this mark of the beast and what it is. We've studied in Revelation chapter 13 and 14 that the mark of the beast is directly connected with worship. Amen? Remember, we were building the fence of truth. We've established that mark of the beast is not a physical mark, it's not a visible mark, but it's the sign of allegiance to the false religious system that was predicted in scriptures. And, and history tells us that it, it um, played out its role just like it was predicted in the scriptures. So we looked at the power that would take the prerogatives of God assumes the authority to change God's law. And as the freedoms are being taken away, the freedom of religion will be taken away. And as the church and state unite in attempt to save humanity, Bible tells us in Revelation 13, 16, that he causes all, both great and small, or small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. We see that this union of church and state will cause people to receive the mark of the beast. That is the language of legislation. In other words, you will have to do it or else. And so, you might be wondering, what about the Protestant America? Where do we stand as Protestants in this whole great controversy? What is our place as Protestants and what will happen eventually with Protestant churches that are um, quite widespread in the United States of America and throughout the world? So today, we will be looking at the Protestantism in relation to the mark of the beast. If you think about Protestants, we go back to the Protestant Reformation. And Protestant Reformation has a date attached to it. And you might remember that date. October 31st of 1517, when a Catholic theologian, a monk, the one who wanted to be the priest and the teacher, he nailed 95 theses to the door of his church in Wittenberg, Germany. So if you think about the Protestantism, it's not just one person. It was the whole movement that was taking place in Europe. And I would add that it was a movement called to life by God himself. It was God who was behind the movement, and it was the Bible that was the foundation for the Protestant Reformation. Would you say amen to that? 
So as we look at, at the Protestant Reformation, uh, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. So the servants is you and me. That's you and me. And we need to be found doing what? Watching. Watching for what? We need to keep our eyes open. First of all, we need to watch as Bible prophecies are being fulfilled before our very eyes. So this is what we'll be doing today. We'll be looking at the history of the Protestantism, which I said began with the movement caused by God and was founded and rooted in scriptures because it was the time when Bible got printed, became more available. And Luther, he says, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, I am bound by what? By the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. So it wasn't just a protest for the sake of protest. It wasn't just a desire to create a new movement. It was something that was um, really founded and based on the teachings of the scripture that Luther and other great reformers were founding, were finding. So what was the main slogan of Protestants? You should know this. What was the main slogan of Protestants? Sola Scriptura. What does it mean? Bible and the Bible only. Bible and the Bible only. So by, by choosing to believe scriptures and go by the scriptures, they were rejecting the church's position that church's authority and tradition stands above scriptures. See, there were church councils that made all kinds of decisions and, 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 and doctrines and the main one that Luther was addressing was the doctrine of indulgences and how we are getting saved. So Luther was basically going to the scriptures and firmly basing his belief in the scriptures. It is interesting that at that time in, in Gutenberg Press, the Bibles were printing. And of all printed material... In Europe at that time, the Bibles and the works of the Luther were 60% of all the printing. Can you imagine today, in the world, 60% of all the information on TV and Internet would be the Bible and Three Angels message? That was an incredible time. It was the time of, of special awakening in Europe. And the Bible, I want you to see that the Bible was right at the center of it. Yes, the great reformers, they had their blind spots. Let's, let's be merciful to them. We're not making them ideal. But remember, they were coming out from dark ages. They were coming out from this system that actually forbidden people to read the Bible or study it. So this is the background they were coming out of. And so they were learning this new, new truth. And they were so committed to the Bible that they were willing to give their freedom and lives. Because they chose the Bible to be their only rule of faith and practice. Based on their study, they came to the conclusion that the Rome, the Church of Rome, was the Antichrist in Bible prophecies. We did not come up with that, of, that definition. It was the reformers, and even people before reformers, even if you read about early church fathers... Even before the Roman Empire fell apart, they already believed that it will be the, the Church of Rome or the Christian, so-called Christian Rome, that would become the fulfillment of the prophecies, Revelation 13. 
And so they saw that scripture talks about this power who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, not the physical temple, of course, New Testament, proclaiming himself to be, to be God. So when they saw religious system claiming to be God, receiving confessions and offering forgiveness and so forth and so forth, they saw the fulfillment of scriptures and the prophetic messages. Luther said, Though it be admitted that Rome was once the mother of all churches, yet from the time when it began to be the seat of Antichrist, it has ceased to be what it was before. So we see that Protestants used to believe, I'm underlying this line, used to believe that Roman Catholic Church was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy regarding Antichrist. And again, we're not talking about individuals in the church who are sincere and wonderful people. We're talking about the movement and the agenda. And we are talking about the prerogatives and the authority that the church decided to have at that point of time. Let's look at John Calvin. Oh, this is John Calvin. Let's read about Luther. This teaching of the supremacy of Pope shows forcefully that the Pope is the very who? Antichrist, who has exalted himself above and opposed himself against Christ. So he sees the application from this verse in, in Roman church. So let's look at John Wesley. Wesley. In many respects, the Pope has an indisputable claim to those titles, he says. He is is an emphatical sense the man of sin and he increases all manner of sin above measure and he is too properly styled the son of perdition so i just i'm just giving you very few quotes from great reformers protestant reformers used to believe that antichrist from the book of revelation and the Beast power from the book of Revelation is none other than the Church of Rome. In its early years, uh, the Baptist Church uh, at London Baptist Confession, 1689, it's recorded, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The Pope of Roman Catholicism cannot in any sense be the head of the church. Rather, he is the Antichrist. You see, who is writing here? The Baptist church, the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction who exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. So we see from history, and it just few proofs that early Protestant reformers and Protestants in general they used to believe that Catholic Church is the power of Antichrist. Do they believe the same thing today? Now, if I would say that Protestantism in America will actually come 180 degrees from their original position, and they will give full support to Catholicism in accepting and promoting their dogmas as their own. You might say, Pastor, that would be impossible because the great reformers, they gave their life for the Bible. They, they stood against the traditions and, and doctrines of, of the church. Would it be possible that the Protestantism in America and worldwide will make that 180-degree turn. What would you say? I would like to suggest to you that there needs to be three steps that need to happen before we see that full turn. 
I would like to suggest that the first thing that needs to happen is the death of Protestantism. The second step that needs to be happening is the positive image of papacy worldwide. Very positive image of papacy worldwide. And the third step that might be a catalyst for the final events would be significant global crisis. Now we've seen how pandemic came on us in just a few days. Did we learn that things can change rapidly and in the way that we would never think before? We did. So we had a practice, so to speak, to learn how things can change worldwide. One thing we don't know is what and when can be that next global crisis. But based on what I read in the book of Revelation and other scriptures, is that there will be time of trouble such as never was. Would you agree with that? We just don't know exactly what will trigger those events. So let's look what is happening. Are we in the first phase or not? I believe that we are already in this process. Now, my first visit to Western world was in 1998. That was the year when I visited Canada for about two months. And what was interesting, I saw Canada is beautiful. It's a beautiful country. I saw many beautiful churches. But one church got my attention. It was saying, Reformed Lutheran Church. So I asked my friend, Pastor, what does it mean, Reformed Lutheran Church? And he said that they used to be Lutheran, but now they are Reformed. Also, oh, where, wh wh what is the reform? Well, they are basically turning back. They are basically coming back to where they started. Oh, I didn't realize that. But not long after 1998, the most significant event in the history of Protestantism took place in October 31st, 1999. Do you know what happened? A very significant event. October 31st, 1999, the joint declaration between the Catholic Church and Lutheran World Federation representing 74 million Lutherans worldwide, the joint declaration was signed on that day. Many commentators consider this date to be the end of Protestant Reformation. Fifteen or more, let's see how many years ago. More, 22, 22 years ago. Lutherans and Catholic Church signed the first joint declaration. And um, it was the most important date and achievement in demise of Protestantism. The language that was used that we need to aside, put aside all the differences, controversies, and I read the documents, quite large documents available online. You can, you can access this joint declaration. And so the other words used that by the commentators on this event that it was the time to heal the wound. Isn't it interesting that secular commentators would say it is time to heal, to heal the wound. So when it says that they had to lay aside differences and convictions and stuff, let me ask you a question. Who laid aside their convictions? Was it Protestants or Catholics? Did you know that the, count, the decisions of the Catholic Church councils are unchangeable? It's kind of interesting that the Ten Commandments that the Lord himself wrote with his finger, those are changeable. Those you can change, they believe. 
But what the church decided and what the church made as a doctrine or a statement or a practice, you cannot change. So who won in this, in this um, I would say, years of, of protest? Who won? Was it the Protestant Reformation that won? Or was it counter-reformation that was led by the Catholic Church, basically, to bring to the end Protestant Reformation? The answer is obviously uh, very clear. Now, notice, notice the, uh, the things developed after that. All of us, and this is in 2015, all of us at this service of one gospel, and this is the Pope's statement. He's talking about the need of unity. He says, it's a shared Christian um, witness that is very much needed in the face of the mistrust, insecurity, persecution, pain, and suffering experienced so widely in today's world. So he's making a statement that the world is not getting better. And we need to unite, we need to come together, we need to have a common Christian witness. But look, the look at the sentiments in the next statement. Division is the work of who? The father of lies. And the father of discord who does everything possible to keep us divided. So who are the bad boys in this statement? Anyone who does not join. Anyone who wants to be separate is the bad guy because he is aligned with whom? With the father of lies. If you want to be a good Christian, you need to unite with us. You need to be together with us. And so this sentiment started um, flowing more freely after this joint declaration was signed. And a few years after that, I believe in 2006, the Methodist Church headquarters also signed a declaration of join, uh, joining the, the union, so to speak. So the question would be, how would the rest of the Protestants would respond? In December 12, 2015, one of the pastors of the Evangelical Church Evangelical Lutheran Church, here is his response. He says, I think it's typical for Pope Francis to open the doors. And now we, as churches, he's talking as a Protestant, he says, now we have what? The duty to find ways to fill this open door with more of a life of ecumenism, of unity. So we hear voices from different Protestant leaders saying, this is a wonderful opportunity. We need to respond to this invitation and come back. But this is happening in Europe. What about United States of America? Jesus says, I want you to be the servant that is watchful. Are we seeing processes in the United States of America that we need to be aware and we need to know what was actually taking place and what is taking place. I believe one of the most significant events that took place just recently in 2014 happened in, in Texas when the Pentecostal and charismatic pastors of our nation were gathered at the big convention. At that convention, there was an Anglican bishop. His name is Bishop Tony Palmer. He came to this conference, and he was given a time to speak. So when he got up to speak, he said, Brothers and sisters, Luther, Luther's protest is what? Is over, And he in his speech was referring to the event of 15 years old in 1999 when the joint declaration between Lutherans and Catholics, Catholics was signed. So he's referring to that event in his speech. 
But he says that the protest is over. And then he says, is yours? Nobody raised the hand. He says, I, I get a little bit cheeky here because I challenge my Protestant pastor friends. Come on, are you still protesting? And then he says, if there is no more protest, how can there be a Protestant church? Is it logical? He's making absolutely logical conclusion. If nobody here in this audience is saying, no, I want to stand on the side of scriptures. No, I believe sola scriptura. He says, how can there be a Protestant church? And then he adds, maybe now we're all Catholics again. The next thing he did, he pulled out his iPhone 5S. Because he just before this conference, he visited with Pope Francis. And he had Pope Francis recorded on his iPhone. Eight minute message from Pope Francis. The message in which Pope Francis, you can, you can watch this message online, it's available everywhere. In this message, Pope Francis said, basically, it's time for brothers to come to Joseph. He said, in Egypt, basically, you have currencies, you have your cultures, you have your denominations, you have all kinds of stuff, but you don't have bread in Egypt. In order to receive bread, you need to come to the Father. And I'm opening my arms to receive you as brothers. When he finished his speech, I'm not going to misquote him or anything. When he finished his speech, Kenneth Copeland got up on the stage and he said, glory, glory, glory. And and the whole audience was applauding innovation. Now, is this a significant event for Protestant America? For hundreds of Protestant pastors? That used to believe at some point that sola scriptura is the basis of our faith. They used to believe it. But now... They were so excited about this open door and invitation. And they did not raise their hand. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> I have a protest. I want to stand on the scriptures. So what happened next in January. So that was January 21, 2014 in Fort Worth, Texas. On June 24, the same year, because your question would be, was there any official acceptance of this invitation? June 24, Tony Palmer took a group of evangelical leaders with, who jointly reached more than 700 million people to meet and have lunch with Pope Francis. And the delegates in this meeting included Kenneth Copeland, Televangelism, James Robinson, as well as other heads of Worldwide Evangelical Alliance. And they told Francis, Pope Francis, they wanted to accept his invitation to seek more visible unity with the Bishop of Rome. And they had a draft of the proposal to sign in 2017 in commemoration of the Great Protestant Reformation. So this whole thing about the Great Protestant Reformation and 500 years uh, jubilee is another very interesting topic. A year before the celebration would take place in Germany, Pope Francis travels to Sweden 
for ecumenical service to set aside all the difference, differences. Now the Pope is going to a Lutheran country to emphasize that the division in the past does not exist anymore. Why is he going to Sweden? Why not Germany? Because it was in Sweden that Lutheran Church was organized officially in 1544. And the Sweden was declared a Protestant and Lutheran country. So there is a special agenda of going to Sweden to put the end to Protestant Reformation. I don't know if I have a quote. Let me see. So here is the quote from The Guardian, a secular press, on this event a year before the celebration. So who is orchestrating the celebration? It was not the Protestant church. It was the Pope who orchestrates all the preparation for the celebration. It's kind of mind-boggling. How can you celebrate something that was initially designed to protest you? But in fact, it's an opportunity to show that all the differences basically needs to be set aside. And now we are celebrating unity and not the division. So on Monday, the ecumenical service led by Pope Francis at Land Cathedral, southern Sweden, will herald a year of events running up to the 500th, 500? Okay, <laughs> anniversary, let's keep moving. Anniversary of the move that resulted in the greatest schism in Western Christianity and the string of religious wars. Did you catch it? Who caused the wars? Who caused the troubles? Who caused the problems in Europe? Let me find it. It was the move. Whose move? The Protestants. Luther. The guy who said, I want to go by the Bible and Bible only. He is to blame for wars. He is to blame for schism. He is to blame for all the troubles in Europe. You see how the secular pray, uh, press puts the blame kind of in passing, right? But who is looking bad in this quote? The reformers. The Protestants. The one who... And other wording that is used is like, it was Luther's protest that caused all of this misunderstanding. As if Luther was just doing his own thing. We understand it was the movement that was caused by God to bring people back to the scriptures. So it's time to prepare, they said, for the celebration. And they need to set aside all the differences. And in October 31st, 2017, Catholic and Protestant leaders, they unite to celebrate the Reformation. To me, it's a very sad day. Because it looks like they gathered together to end the Reformation. It says here that our... Archbishop of Canterbury uses service to present joint declaration described as sign of what? Of healing after 500 years of division. Catholic and Protestant leaders have stressed their mutual bonds 500 years after the start of the Reformation. A movement, ah, again, that tore apart Western Christianity. What, what a bad movement. It wasn't a good thing. A movement that tore apart Western Christianity and sparked a string of bloody religious wars in Europe lasting more than a century. Not minimizing the, the conflicts and the wars and the things that took place, but the Protestants are getting blamed again. If we see this tendency, we might 
know that if this process continues, who would be to be blamed in our society? If you will continue to be the student and the follower of the Bible. My friends, Jesus said, I want you to be servants that are watching what happens. In Great Controversy, page 572 says, The Protestant churches have been seeking the favor of the world. False charity has blinded their eyes. Instead of standing in defense of the faith once delivered to the saints, they are now, as it were, doing what? Apologizing to Rome for their uncharitable opinion of her. And this is exactly what is happening. In just recently, in just recent years, there was a pastor here in the United States of America that actually apologized for all things that took place because of the reformers. Pastor Reverend Joseph Grauman, pastor of St. Stephen Lutheran Church, we confess the brokenness in the church, he says. We confess that reformation was certainly a time when our brokenness got the best of us, he says. But we can then come together in hope, both forgiven in baptism and forgiven in Christ. I have nothing against forgiveness. But basically, the Protestant leaders are apologizing for Martin Luther to take a stand. For believing in the scriptures. And so we see that the words of the prophet in Great Controversy 572 are being fulfilled before our very eyes. You might be having a question by now. What do we do, Pastor? What is the solution? Well, God in His mercy, I believe He sends a message of love and the warning to all sincere Christians who want to follow Jesus and stand on the side of truth. God is calling to Christians of all faiths and denominations with a message of first angel. Fear God and give glory to him. Because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who created. Remember creation, conflict and covenant. Because God is faithful to his covenant. God will see his people through if they will remain faithful. My friends. What do I need to do? I need to firmly believe in Christ and accept Christ as the Lord and Savior, to accept Christ as the head of the church and our only hope. He is the only one to be worshipped. But wait, isn't the name of Christ on all of those declarations and documents? Even in the quotes, everywhere, Jesus Christ. What do you do? You may say, I am already a Christian. Why are, you, why are you worried about me? I am already a Christian. My friends, in eschatological course of events, the things that are transpiring according to the book of Revelation, we need to know the prophetic word of God. In the eschatological Setting in the times that we are living today to accept Jesus. Now, don't miss this. To accept Jesus means to accept his word. Amen? Amen. Not the traditions of the church, not the councils of the church, not the doctrines of the church, but to accept his word. Because Jesus is the living word and Bible is the written word and there is no contradiction between the two. So if you want to be sure that you are following Jesus, the call is to stand on the Bible and the Bible only. Amen. That's what the message is in the book of Revelation. It's the message of hope. It's the message to worship Jesus and to accept his word and his commandments. You might be wondering... 
Why do you have to bring commandments again? Why commandments are so important? Now, mind you that that's the only part of the Bible that God did not entrust any humans to write. That's the only part of the Bible that he wrote with his own finger. And that's the part of the Bible that the power of the beast decided to undo and redo and change because they have the authority. So in this catalogical setting, again, we are talking about our days. The third angel's message is the message where your allegiance is. The mark of the beast is about allegiance. And in our next study, next Sabbath, we will be talking about the seal of God. What is the seal of God? How do we show our allegiance to God? But pastor, where is the covenant here? I want to see the covenant in third angel's message. Because you said there is creation, conflict, and the covenant. Look at this verse. He declared to you his what? Covenant which he commandments you to follow. The ten commandments. Notice these two words. It is his covenant. It's neither old or new covenant. It's not an old covenant or a new covenant. It's his covenant, right? That's what the Bible teaches. It's his covenant. And if you want to show your allegiance to God, you want to be in that covenant relationship with him. And so today, in order for us to sort these things out, what do we do? There was a couple that moved to the new location, not a big town. And they just started the family. So they wanted to be part of the church, which is a good thing, amen? And they didn't know which church to join. So they decided to write a letter to every pastor in that little town. It wasn't a big town. So they wrote one letter that we are looking for the church. We are looking for the good church to join. And they asked every pastor to kind of describe their church and what it's like all about so they can receive answers and decide which church they're going to join. So one of my friends who was a pastor in that town, he received a letter from this couple. And he decided, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity to re respond to this letter. So he said... I'm really excited about you wanting to join the church. And I want you to find the church that is, is good for you, and it's a, it's a God's church. So he said, I can make it easier for you to find the church. You write another letter to every pastor asking them, do they still believe Ten Commandments? And out of all the pastors in the Protestant town, in Protestant America, they received only one letter from one pastor who said, the same pastor, a friend of mine, he said, our church still believes in all Ten Commandments. Here is the scripture that helps me and will help you to, to guide through this maze of the circumstances in these last days. To the law and to the... Testimony. Remember, it's covenant. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is what? No light in them. Yeah, there is lots of traditions. Could be lots of things happening in the church. Maybe they have wonderful music. Maybe they have wonderful children ministries. Maybe they have wonderful outreach in the community. But my Bible tells me to the law and to the, to the testimony. Are you still a Protestant? Are you still believing sola scriptura? If you want to follow the Lord, I invite you to come to God with prayer in quietness of your heart and pray sincerely. Lord, I want to do your will. I don't want to be misled. 
I don't want to be led astray and I don't want to receive the mark of the beast. I don't want to follow the majority. I don't want to follow church traditions or any human leader. I want to follow Jesus and his word. Lead me, Lord. I am open. I am willing. And I'm sure that the Lord will lead you. So the story is told about the ship getting into the thick fog. And suddenly captain hears the radio. On the radio it says, move 15 degrees to the left. He replies, why should I move? You move. And it went on and on for several minutes. They were talking on the radio. You move. And he says, no, you move. You move. No, you move. <laughs> In the fog they can see each other. So... Finally, this captain got tired of this conversation. He said, do you know, did you know that I have the biggest ship in our area? We are the biggest ship. <laughs> what was the answer? You know, move 15 degrees. I am the lighthouse. I am the lighthouse. Thy word is the lamp unto my feet. And the light unto my path. Are you willing to move? Because there is a lighthouse. Are you willing to align your life with thus says the Lord? It might not be easy and it won't be easy. But if we think about the latest events... And the events to transpire before Jesus comes. I want to be on the side of Christ. How about you? I invite our singers. And we will be singing together this song. That is an old Christian hymn. And I just love it. Because I used to sing it even growing up. It's a beautiful hymn. We'll build on the...